This episode contains sensitive content that may not be appropriate for listeners of all ages. Listener discretion is advised. From Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Mountainland Physical Therapy's Pelvic Health Podcast. I'm your host, Madison Splann. Thank you for listening to the first podcast in a new collection that Mountainland is hosting. Today, pelvic pain. What is it and how can we treat it? We speak with Denise Druce, strength and conditioning specialist, on her personal experience with pelvic pain, pelvic health physical therapy, community outreach, and yoga treatment options. Again, I'm your host, Madison Splann, doctor of physical therapy with Mountainland Physical Therapy in Utah. I have my bachelor's of health science from Boise State University and my doctor of physical therapy from A.T. Still University. I have been a practicing physical therapist with an emphasis on pelvic health with over 2,000 hands-on clinical hours treating pelvic health. I have gone through extensive training with Herman and Wallace on pelvic health and am sitting for the American Physical Therapy Association Board Certification in Women's Health this March. My guest today is Denise Druce. She has a Bachelor's of Science in Health Education and a Master's Degree in Public Health from the University of Utah. Denise is a Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist, ACE and AFAA Certified. Denise holds the designation of Yoga Alliance ERYT500, Master Trainer for Schwinn Cycling, and is the Director of Yoga Teacher Training at Yoga Assets. Denise has been featured on CBS Morning Show, Fox 13 Television, New York Today, and more. Denise is also very involved within the community, including Utah MS Society Board of Directors, Chair-Elect for the Fitness Institute at LDS Hospital Community Board, Consultant for the Fit Kids Program, and more. Thank you for being here today, Denise. Thanks for having me, Madison. That all sounds so uh, important. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm super excited to have this conversation with you and kind of get the word out. So today we'll be talking on pelvic floor anatomy, common pelvic pain conditions, and physical therapy interventions. Denise will chat about her experience with pelvic pain and physical therapy, pelvic pain conversations out in the community, and describe pelvic chakra with yoga and the benefits it can pose for individuals suffering from pelvic pain. So one reason that I decided to start this podcast series was to reach as many individuals as possible. I believe it is my professional duty to inform males and females on pelvic pain, treatment options, and begin the discussion with care providers. You are not alone if you suffer from pelvic pain. Denise, I know you and I have spoke about the lack of information on pelvic, on pelvic health in the community. Why do you believe this exists and how can we change this stigma and spark the conversation? Wow, I, just, I think we're, um, this is a really good start today that we're, I'm really glad you're doing this podcast. Um, it, you know, I don't know if it's just our community. We do live in kind of a, a more conservative community. So I don't know if that's part of the problem is even the words around pelvic pain are hard for people to say because it's not common conversation. So um, since working with you and some of the things that we've worked on together, I find it to be very uh, easy to talk about. So I think that's what we have to do is just kind of open the door and um, invite people into this conversation. 
I agree. I think, you know, where we live has a big impact. And I hope that this is the first step to getting that word out, not only in Utah, but uh, nationally, globally, and hopefully spark more conversations within care providers, within relationships, within friend conversations, rather than having this looming cloud and people feeling like they can't talk about their problems and kind of shove it under the rug, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing I learned right away from you is that um, this is a common problem. And I wasn't alone. And that just made me feel a lot better. It made me feel hopeful that there was something that I could do about this. All right. Well, let's jump right in. So what is the pelvic floor? The pelvic floor is a group of muscles around our pelvis. Uh, The role of the pelvic floor is to support our organs, perform proper sphincteric support, stability the musculoskeletal system, improve lymphatic flow, posture and breathing, and lastly, sexual function. Uh, The sexual function role will be our focus for today's podcast, but future podcast discussions will focus on the other roles that I've listed. So chronic pelvic pain is described as pain in the abdomen or pelvis that lasts longer than three months and is not caused by a disease process. Unfortunately, one of seven individuals uh, between the ages of 18 and 50 will suffer from pelvic pain at one time in their life. I think that's an outstanding number that has been significantly um, not talked about. And with that many individuals between such a span of ages having this condition, I, I think that with that being known, there are not enough practitioners out there having this conversation with their patients. So pelvic pain has been found to be associated with negative cognitive, behavioral, sexual, or emotional consequences. And 25% of women with chronic pelvic pain have been found to spend two to three days per month in bed. And, And that's significant. I mean, two to three days lost from work, lost income, is significant and those individuals most of them have families and so then they can't take care of their families because they're in such chronic pain so dyspareunia and that's that's what you had which was the persistent or recurrent pain associated with vaginal penetration and then one step up from that is vaginismus and this is the inability to have penetration within the vagina Um, these ladies have very tight vaginal tissues they may be complaining of the inability to insert a tampon and a very painful well women's exam and 90 percent of individuals with pelvic pain experience pain with intercourse and 50 percent of those have feelings of depression So now, Denise, would you please describe to our listeners your pelvic pain, the symptoms, and how it affected um, your life? Yeah, so um, I feel like I had what was really common and typical for women in their 50s. Um, It was kind of the perfect storm. Um, I had um, gone through menopause and all of the things associated that with that, the hormones, um, vaginal dryness, the thinning of the membrane, all, all made, um, you know, intimacy really painful for me. And so, of course, that had repercussions with my relationship with my husband. We were really trying to work through that. Um, and then at age 52, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and um, my cancer was uh, an estrogen positive cancer. So, I went, I'm on some medication that exacerbated the symptoms. So um, 
I had a double mastectomy and, um, you know, lost the feeling in my breasts, my nipples. So I was just really going down that road of depression. Like my relationship with my husband was, um, struggling. My feelings of, you know, femininity and self-worth were plummeting. So I asked uh, my doctor for suggestions if there was anything we could do. And we tried a few things, um, such as like some suppository estrogen cream and a few things like that, but nothing really helped um, until she gave me your name and your phone number. And um, Madison, I just have to say, like, I really feel like you've, you have changed my life. The work I did with you um, completely turned my view around about what's possible. And again, just gave me hope that I could be a woman again with an active sex life and a, um, a great relationship with my husband. So my pain was all around um, pain with intercourse. And what I found with my work with you is that there was an additional component of me like bracing, like tightening my muscles against that because I was afraid of the pain. So that's, I feel like the work we did was helping me change that. And for those listeners out there, if you haven't had the chance to meet Denise, or I'm sure you can hear her energy and her love through through the sound waves right now. She is such an energetic individual that that is, I'm so grateful to have met you and have been able to team up with you in, in multiple different uh, facets at this point going forward. And I look forward to continually growing this relationship with you as well. So thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. So other common symptoms that individuals with pelvic pain can have include pain with urination or bowel movements, um, limited ability for prolonged sitting, numbness or tingling down the legs, um, difficulty wearing tight clothing, and significant tender points through the vaginal tissue and hips. Um, Some patients can also experience pain and feeling a fullness in their rectal region, as well as abdominal or myofascial tender points. Um, Some causes of pelvic pain can be different surgeries, uh, hysterectomy, mastectomy, uh, childbirthing injuries, episiotomies, tearing, um, sexual injuries, pelvic infection or inflammation, postural dysfunction, Some patients may even just slip and fall into their tailbone, and then because of that fall, our muscles go into a protective response that then causes them all to tighten up, and they just don't want to relax, similar to how your neck gets tight and tender after a car accident because of the whiplash. Those muscles go into protection mode to perspire to protect the spine and the, and the head region. And so the pelvic floor is very similar to our reproductive organs. Um, some individuals have issues with chronic holding or the opposite. They really have to strain for full urination or bowel movements because of how tight those pelvic floor muscles are. Um, it's pretty interesting to see that individuals with abuse in their history, 50% of those have pelvic pain persisting for years after this injury. So Denise, would you please describe to our listeners now your experience with physical therapy? It was um, the first time I came in, I was really nervous. It was, um, you know, I had no idea what to expect. Um, But I, I just feel like you made me comfortable right away just in 
using plain talk, you know, you weren't skirting around words like vagina and (laughs) things like that. Like we started the conversation right away and you again reassured me that I was normal. Like this is normal for a, a woman my age to have this kind of a thing happening. So, um, I would say that my sessions with you were, um, like really eye-opening. I just, I, I learned so much every session I spent with you. I feel like you educated me about my body. You educated me about things I could do that gave, made me feel empowered to take care of myself and to start a healing process. Kind of starting basic at the musculoskeletal component. So I do a full evaluation of the hip, the abdomen, the low back, the SI joint, Um, and then obviously our internal vaginal exam. So with these, I'm looking at what's your motion? What is your strength? Where are the tender points? Um, Specifically with you, Denise, we found that we had a lot of tenderness through that piriformis muscle, worse on the left side than the right. Um, There was some lower abdominal pain and then Um, Like a lot of individuals with deep hip pain that radiates into the lateral vaginal tissues with that obturator internus muscle, which is the highest frequency of tender points with anybody suffering from pelvic pain. Um, A lot of individuals with vaginismus have a very tight, um, the muscle is called the bulbocavernosis. That is the most superficial pelvic floor muscle at the opening of the of the vagina. And if this is tight, it's not even going to allow for the penetration. And that's where I find the most significant pain and tightness in individuals with the vaginismus. Whereas some individuals with dyspareunia, they may have deep or they may have superficial or they may have both pain with penetration, pain deeper with penetration. And so with those, I'll find, you know, the whole coccygeus, elevator ani muscles, uh, obturator internus, they are all red hot, fired and tender. Um, and so with those individuals, I'll prescribe, you know, different hip stretches, the child's pose, the happy baby, the butterfly, different hip adductor stretches, um, holding statically, starting 30 seconds, moving on to a minute. Um, and then, you know, I'll check out what's going on with the pelvis anatomy. Do we have any um, innominate rotation And that's when, you know, one side of the pelvis may be rotated anteriorly or posteriorly, or it may be have a little upslip. And so with that treatment, um, we use a muscle energy technique. So our hip flexors attach on the anterior aspect of our pelvis and the hamstrings attach on the posterior aspect of our pelvis. So if I'm seeing any rotation, I'm going to be doing a different kind of strain, counter strain technique in order to provide torsion to the pelvic anatomy in order to rotate back to neutral. Um, Depending on what tissues I find to be tender, I will do different myofascial trigger point releases, um, whether that is vaginally with ischemic prolonged techniques or contract, relax, contract that muscle, whether it's pelvic floor, are you doing a Kegel and then relaxing and then we're stretching into that? Are we doing a quick stretch and a relaxation after that? Um, And then we'll look at the joint motion. How is that femur moving within the, the acetabulum? How is the sacrum moving on the pelvis? All of those muscles of the pelvic floor attach onto those different bony areas. And so when they're tight, they can cause lack of movement within those joints as well. 
um, like what we use with you is a stem. So a stem is an instrument assisted soft tissue mobilization instrument that has protocols for the entire musculoskeletal system. With my pelvic pain patients, I will commonly use the abdominal protocols as well as the hip protocols. Uh, the idea behind a stem is that we are breaking up dysfunctional tissue. We are restemming the inflammatory process to bring blood flow in to help heal and remodel the tissues into their proper orientation. I know that we worked on this with you. Do you want to kind of describe to the listeners from a patient perspective how that intervention works and feels during and after? Yeah, it was fascinating to me that you found that one, uh, my left side piriformis was tighter and uh, more tender than the other. And that's also, it was that side of the, of my vagina where I was experiencing more pain. So I just thought that was awesome to make that correlation. And then with the A-STEM, I can just describe it as kind of like a, maybe a scraping with a tool. I won't say that it was painful, but it was um, kind of uncomfortable, just that scraping. Um, But I always, every time I stood up after that, I felt more balanced and more um, kind of open through that hip. So I I really noticed a big difference. Yeah, I always tell patients, the A-STEM is what gets you better. The hands-on after is what keeps you coming back. An interesting aspect of the A-STEM that I really like in regards to the hip and glute musculature, after I'm done performing the A-STEM, the individuals will have red skin in the areas that were more tender and where the tissue was more thick. In some patients, when they come back on their next visit a couple days later, they we they will even have light bruising in that area. And so it's not only a treatment option, but it's also diagnostic in that means because now it's showing me exactly which tissues need the most attention based on that bruising. The bruising is the blood flow coming to that tissue to help with the remodeling and the healing process. And so I like using the ASEM for that purpose. I think, you know, a lot of the pelvic musculature is vaginal, but if we are ignoring that hip origin and insertion of the obturator internus, then we're only going to be fixing half of the problem. And we need to be affecting all of the fibers of that tissue, not just the vaginal aspect of that. Um, So I would say, so with you, when it comes to, you know, pelvic pain, pain with intercourse, the general treatment regimen is, you know, getting hands onto the tissue first, finding those tender points, decreasing those point-specific painful areas, do hands-on vaginal stretching. Once an individual is able to tolerate good pressure with the stretching and keeping their pain level below about a four out of 10, I am going to progress them to the dilator training. The dilator training begins with level one up to level five. Um, The research shows that we want our patients being able to tolerate the dilator level that is at least the size of their partner, if not a size larger, in order for them to tolerate intercourse without pain. Um, I will, you know, start with very slow insertion using static stretching for prolonged periods of time to allow for a greater 
muscle length change. Um, we'll start in a relaxed position. Once an individual is able to tolerate the dilator size that we need, then we'll transition their positioning into a more functional intercourse position. As you remember, you know, we start off with the stretching in somewhat of a butterfly position or one leg straight and the other one propped on a pillow, but that's not a very functional position for intercourse. So we transition to more of a supine hook line where the knees are bent up. Um, and so that in that position, the vaginal tissues are on a slight stretch. So it is a bit more intense than that relaxed position. Um, some individuals at this point still have significant pain with the dilator training. And at that point, I will encourage them to call their physician and ask for internal lidocaine ointment. This ointment helps to provide a light numbing to the vaginal tissues. They're still going to have deep pressure and sensation. It's just going to take the edge off is what I tell them. Um, and then, you know, some patients have such significant guarding with this dilator training that I will apply my surface electrodes for biofeedback. The biofeedback provides a visual cueing for this individual of how much are they tightening and guarding within their pelvic floor. Um, normal resting tone of the pelvic floor is supposed to be about two microvolts or less. And so if they're in a relaxed position and they're their biofeedback is spiking, I will have them try and focus on that biofeedback um, at first, looking at the numbers, trying different techniques in order to get them to relax, whether that's contract relax or diaphragmatic breathing or mindfulness, um, different tapping techniques. We just find what works best for that patient in that circumstance to get their pelvic floor muscles to go from contracting and guarding to relaxed and compliant. A lot of patients that have had chronic pelvic pain for years, we're not only addressing the musculoskeletal conditions, but we're, we're looking at how is their whole body reacting to the stimuli. With the chronic pain, our, our mind goes into this negative loop of, of sensation is going to cause pain, and we need to break that loop from not only the tender points at the muscle level, but at the brain level also. The, the brain is a powerful organ. I tell my patients this all the time, um, especially with those incontinence, the urgency, you know, mind over bladder. You know, we, we have control of our our body. We can change what we perceive as pain to now be comfortable, to, to be a, a pleasurable experience rather than a painful one. And so I find that very important. We need to look at the whole person, not just their joints, their muscles. And I think, you know, that's one thing that we worked a lot on was breaking that painful, that painful loop connection between brain and pelvis. Yeah. How do you, how do you feel that that conversation went in our treatment sessions? Um, I want to answer that, but I want to ask you to back up a little bit because I know everything you're talking about, but I'm guessing that the, those listening to this, these might be really new concepts and new ideas. Um, I think it would be helpful for you to explain what a dilator is 
A dilator is an instrument that is shaped similar to a penis that comes in varieties of sizes in regards to the diameter as well as the length. It also comes in different textures, whether it's more of a soft rubbery component, silicone, or a hard you know, plastic or even glass. What this does is it helps us to stretch the vaginal tissue slowly and progress through the sizes in order to accommodate for a normal male penis structure that we are, we are trying to have penetrate based on the spouse or the partner that we're going at. Great yeah. question. Yeah, so I thought that would be helpful. I mean, to me, it, it just looks like a vibrator. They're they're just shaped like a vibrator um, to use common terms. And so then the other thing is um, you uh, used a lubricant that was, that's, I don't, I've never seen over the counter and um, you helped me find that online. So I think that might be helpful to share that with the listeners. Perfect. So the lubrication that uh, pelvic health specialists are encouraged to use is called slippery stuff. This is a paraben-free, glycerin-free, water-based lubrication. So any of those individuals listening that may have difficulty finding a lubrication that's not causing burning or itching or irritation to their vaginal tissues, I would encourage you to seek out slippery stuff. Mm -hmm. If you just type that into Amazon, you can find that very easily. It comes in small tubes all the way up to, you know, medical grade sizes. Yeah. And it really, really helpful stuff. Um, Okay. So you asked me um, something about the conversation. Yeah. About kind of the holistic approach that we take in the room during, during the hands-on stretching or the dilator training. Yeah. So you just really helped me tap into my relaxation techniques and I'm a yoga teacher. So it's really easy for me to go to my breathing practices, mindfulness practices. Um, It's just interesting that I needed a physical therapist to remind me what I already knew about that, you know? Um, So when you were doing the, um, let's see, what did you, the electrodes, the biofeedback, the biofeedback. Yeah. So, um, just for the listeners, Madison places uh, sensors just inside the opening of the um, vagina. And then I got to hold the box that would show my reaction to different stimulus. And um, it was just really amazing to me that I could see immediately I was tensing up. And then I could go to one of my breathing practices, take a couple of deep breaths and consciously relax as I saw those numbers drop down. So um, I think every woman is going to have her own version of, you know, what those tools are. But that's what it was for me is just deep, slow breathing, choosing one thing to focus my mind on. Um, sometimes it would just be looking at something in the room and just really focusing on like the plant at the in the window or repeating a word in my mind like a mantra. Um, and it's just awesome to see that visibly your body relaxes on those, you know, those little numbers drop. Yeah. Yeah. And then one key component to dyspareunia is incorporating partner participation. Sometimes I will have 
partners come into the clinic during treatment sessions, or I will discuss with the patients the best way to incorporate their partner into the treatment. So it's very important to really keep that sensual environment when we're trying to progress to intercourse and having patients include their partner in the dilator training is very important in order for that partner to assess, you know, what is the right angle for the least discomfort with insertion? What is the right speed? How long does it take for me to penetrate past that blocking point? I think every woman has an area that they can associate with a blocking point within the vaginal tissue when they are inserting a tampon at first it's difficult and then we get past this specific muscle group and it the ease with that insertion is significantly improved and the same thing goes for intercourse at the very you know first two inches of insertion it's quite tight that's the first layer of the pelvic floor muscles and their their main role is the sphincteric so they are used to being tight but then we progress past those and we get into that deep third layer of the pelvic floor muscles and those muscles are more compliant to penetration and it allows for greater ease at this point and so involving the partner with the dilator training is very important for them to learn the woman's body in the same way that she knows it as and having that communication during that process so that when it is time to jump in and attempt intercourse for the first time, he un- he or she understands the best way to apply that penetration for most pleasure and least pain. Um, so now, Denise, This is the part I'm really excited about. Will you kind of talk to our listeners about the basis on yoga for for chronic pain overall and then dive into detail on, you know, what is pelvic chakra and how can that be beneficial for individuals suffering from pelvic pain? Absolutely. Um, So there have been many, many studies done now about using yoga and even more specifically mindfulness. So not not so much the physical practices of the poses, although they are helpful, but um, the meditation side of things where you are doing the deep breathing and the relaxation. Um, a lot of studies looking at that as a method of pain management. So um, one of the major, I guess, organizations that's really known for this is the um, MBSR work Uh, by John Kabat-Zinn, and that stands for Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. And um, if you just go to their website, I'm pretty sure it's just mbsr.org or .com, one of the two, but so much information there about dealing with pain through body scans, deep breathing, meditation, mindfulness. Um, so I would say that's kind of the number one is, is really um, start to get into some of those practices that help you be calm in general. And then more specifically, uh, there are many, many stretches and poses that we do in yoga that are designed to lengthen the piriformis, you know, the muscle in me that was tight. So there's a pose called pigeon pose or a figure four where you put the the ankle on the opposite knee and stretch the hip that way. Um, many, many of the poses that we refer to as hip openers can be helpful in um, 
you know, whatever the specific tightness is in the body. Um, and then, so I would just say in general, you know, do yoga. <laughs> Let's just start there. <laughs> I encourage a lot of my patients to begin light yoga when they have chronic pain, just to teach them different relaxation techniques and teach them about their body. Yeah. And I'm glad you said the word light yoga, because now, like when we say yoga, that means, I mean, there is goat yoga, there's upside down yoga, there's power yoga, there's hot, there's so many different variations. There's something for everyone, but uh, someone that's dealing with chronic pain really should seek out, like you said, light yoga, a beginner yoga, a chair yoga, maybe restorative yoga would be a really great place to start. There's another kind of yoga called yin, Y-I-N yoga, which is holding poses longer and just um, being still longer. I think those types of yoga is, is where you want to start. There are seven chakras and um, these are energy centers in the body. Um, You can think of them like nerve bundles from the base of the spine up to the crown of the head. So the second one is called the sacral chakra and those nerves feed all of our sex organs, our pelvic floor and our sacrum area, our SI joint and the low back. So it's all of that nerve activity that we're talking about that um, in yogic tradition, there can be too much energy there, which would create a lot of tightness and um, discomfort that way. And there can be not enough energy there, which can create kind of a dullness, a laziness, um, an over-relaxed area, you know. So I I read into that some of the incontinence issues and... um, bladder control and things like that. So in yoga, things that we do to um, edify, to support the sacral chakra are um, movement. So all of the stretches and poses that I just talked about are really helpful for that. But also like dancing, you know, like moving your hips and um, swimming, being in water. The the property of the second chakra is water. So anything that like being in or around water that creates this fluidity, this grace, this ease of movement, that those are the therapeutic things that we do for the sacral chakras is trying to create more, more just ease, ease there. Very nice. I feel lucky in the clinic that I work at. We have a physical therapy assistant that is primarily in the aquatics area. And so any of those, even pregnancy-related pain, chronic pelvic pain patients, I will encourage to at least have one, two treatments in the water to really open them up and see how they can gradually strengthen these tissues in a gravity-reduced environment. So I really like the water and I don't know much about chakra. And so I look forward to to really diving into that a little bit more and learning about the sacral chakra as well. So now I'd kind of like to move on from really the basics of physical therapy, differential diagnosis and move into community outreach. Um, I was lucky to have you approach me last year around this time to to come together and put on a women's health retreat and i think that was really the the beginnings of this podcast 
taking that on with you really opened my eyes from not only the professional aspect, but to the community need for more information out there and to get that conversation sparked between women. So, um, Denise, would you please explain to our listeners about the Women's Health Conference that we had back in January and and just the different experiences that were had, discussions, and and, um, take home from that? Yes. um, Just, I guess I do this with every area of my life, but if something is working for me, I really want to share it. And this has been this problem for me was such a dark area of my life. Like I felt like 95% of my life was awesome and amazing. And then I had this shadow area where it just was not good. I didn't feel healthy and complete. So when I connected with you and you helped me so much physically, um, and then my my work with Cindy Wasik that you mentioned, and um, she just was very encouraging about the use of, you know, different kinds of hormones and the role that plays. I just started putting pieces together in my brain and thinking that this is a conversation that really needs to be had. And um, especially here in Utah, again, a conservative culture, women are not talking about this. And are not even aware that there's help. I feel like so many women just struggle through this thinking they're alone and they're unusual. And so they just, it's private and they grit their teeth and go through it. And um, it doesn't have to be that way. So we did pull together several professionals, yourself included. Jordan Rulo came and spoke to us. Um, we had an emotional coach speak with us. We did some yoga, some chakra work. Um, And then Cindy talked about hormones and the women that were there, I still hear from them. We had about 20 women there. I still hear, hear from all of them just thanking us for what we offered. And I think most of them have seen you at this point have come to you and, um, and the other professionals and really our lives are different because of it. They're better quality of life. We just had everyone kind of share what was coming up for them and what what questions they had coming in, what things um, got sparked for them on Friday night with your conversation. And we had um, a little basket for each of the presenters and we asked people to write their questions for the presenters. And people wrote down questions that they were not brave enough to ask out loud, but they were brave enough to write on paper. And so as we read those questions, of course, nobody knew who had asked them, but there was this sense in the room like, oh my gosh, like that hap- that's, that's my story too. And so as women just started sharing, like getting brave enough to share what was really happening with them in their lives, there was this vulnerability that of course, always turns into connection and then empowerment. Like, wow, we are all struggling. Who knew? And now we've got all these great resources. So it just felt like so many questions came up that, like I said, we need to have another women's conference and it needs to be three days this time because there's so much we could address. Yeah. And I feel like the one word that stood out to me that everybody kept mentioning was hope. Yeah, there's now hope. There's hope for me and and my relationship. There's hope about pain. There's hope about incontinence. And I think really seeing that effect was was beautiful. It's beautiful. So yeah, um, 
In closing, Denise, would you maybe talk about your take home from this podcast today? What if you could tell the listeners one thing that you hope that they take from this podcast, what would it be? Can I do two? Please do. (laughs) Um, Because I just want to say one of the things that has really stuck with me from my work with you and the conversations at our women's conference was this idea of... um, Uh, the incontinence thing. And so many of us do kegels. We think that we're supposed to like tighten, tighten, tighten. And what you and the other professionals taught us is that more often than not, the problem is that we don't know how to relax the muscles of our pelvic floor. And um, I believe it was you that said it's like living on the third floor of a high-rise apartment building and you can take the elevator up, but you never go down to the ground floor. Yeah, I think the elevator is such a good visualization for individuals on how to relax the pelvic floor. Yeah, so that's one of the things that I've been doing, and I'm pretty sure it was you that said we need to build up to only urinating every three hours to like strengthen our <laughs> strengthen our muscles that way and learn to relax and contract. So that's something. Um, the main takeaway from this conversation is there is hope. This is a conversation that needs to be had. Um, reach out to Madison or myself. Um, I'm sure our contact information will be left here. Um, and we can point you in the right direction. There's a, There are a lot of um, people that can help. Definitely. Will you provide the best way that listeners can contact you, Denise? Yes. I think the easiest is just my email address. And it's denise at yogaassets.com. Perfect. Well, in closing, thank you for listening. Please visit our website at mlrehab.com. You can follow the specialty link to the Women's Health for more information. If you know anyone suffering from pelvic pain, please share this podcast. If you would like to speak to a specialist, please email madison at mlrehab.com. I would like to thank you, Denise, for coming on this kickoff show today. Um, It was so great of you to share with us your experience with pelvic pain, pelvic physical therapy, and your knowledge on yoga and pelvic chakra. So thank you again for listening, and please tune in next month for our topic on sacroiliac joint dysfunction across genders with my guest, Ryan Church, Doctor of Nurse Practitioners. Thank you. This podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Exercises that are safe and appropriate for some people may not be for you. No treatment program should be undertaken without first consulting your physical therapist or physician. The contents of this podcast is protected under United States copyright laws and may not be reproduced, redistributed, transmitted, displayed, published, or broadcast without prior written permission of Mountainland Physical Therapy.